You are invited as we delve into the unhinged. Well, it ain't working now, Frank. Let the movie line. The grotesque. And the bizarre. Who calls me from out of the pit? Whether you asked for it or not. This is Late Night Psychorama. This is Late Night Psychorama, where us three kind of hopeless weirdos tunnel through weird corners and kind of the forgotten crypts of movies and shine a light on more obscure and neglected horror movies, preferably from the mid-60s all the way to the early 80s. Uh, we're going to kind of skip over the more classic and often spoke about movies like Halloween or Night of the Living Dead and even the more uncommon kind of like trash favorites like Pieces or Ca- Cannibal Holocaust and kind of have the more, I don't want to say like bottom barrel, but stuff that's just definitely been neglected, been forgotten, you know. Yeah. Those, uh, yeah, those, those diamonds in the rough. Well, not even. I mean, I'm, we're going to trudge through those lots of shit. Um, the sure. Toilet. As we go through this. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a bit more anomalous in the sense that the, the, we're not going to go. How many times have you heard somebody talk about George Romero movies? You know, I've like, never heard anyone talk about George West, Romero. Movies. West Craven, John Carpenter, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's, stop it. Um, you should give a spoiler warning, Andrew. Oh, that's yeah. your that's your new gig. Okay, so uh, most of these movies are quite aged, so uh, we're we're just going to get right to we're going to spoil these movies. Uh, so if you've never heard of these movies, uh, uh, we do two of them each episode, and um, tell them what we're doing tonight. Well, yeah, right tonight we're doing a, a movie called Wicked Wicked uh and uh cannibal apocalypse and so if you've never heard of those movies uh go watch them if you care and if you don't care just continue to listen to the podcast because uh we will give away the endings uh, we're probably just going to talk about the whole thing really yeah well i mean yeah the whole thing (laughs) oh uh, by the way i'm jonathan i'm joe and this is andrew all right all right, why don't we just get into it? Joe, why don't you tell the fine folks out there the general synopsis of Cannibal Apocalypse? Okay. Do you want to start with the trailer? Sure. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's easy. All right. Cannibalism. 
damn vet. Barricaded in the flea market, taking pot shots at the cops outside. Okay, that's enough. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Please. Please try to understand. That trailer really needs a voiceover because it's really just. <laughs> yeah, like I'm sure for the listeners that was uh, that was quite stimulating. Fun, fun <laughs> jazz music with people screaming over it. It sounds well. Yeah, tell us about yeah, not a whole lot of dialogue Bowers. in that trailer, but yeah. So we find at the start of the movie a crazy action sequence in Vietnam, and we have two American soldiers in a pit of some kind. I assume it was a makeshift uh, little prison trap made by the Viet Cong. There is a ton of shooting and fire. And then we find as um, a lady who had been set on fire... Though I don't recall how, I just know she was the, set on fire. The flamethrower guy just ran was that away. what that was? Yeah. Okay, so she—it's all very My Lai Massacre. They, they just kind of indiscriminately just blow away and flamethrower everybody in that yeah. scene. Well, she ends up by that trap, and she's yanked down by the two American soldiers that are being held in the pit, and all of a sudden they start eating her. Then John Saxon shows up with a platoon to uh, quelch the the violence going on and restore order, and they look down into the pit to find their American comrades that I assume they were trying to rescue, and he is horrified to find that they are eating the uh, flaming lady that fell to her doom. And... We then pick up the action back home in the United States. John Saxon has some mental problems with what he saw. The two American cannibals have issues in general and are in an asylum. (laughs) And one of them is let out. For some reason. I assume they thought he was cured. 
I don't quite know how you make that assumption. He hasn't eaten anyone in a while, so... Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> and the movie descends into constant violence from there as the cannibal virus is spread to people that are bitten. And plot holes abound. Yeah, that that's the thing. They don't really explain why uh, if if a cannibal bites you, you become a cannibal. I mean, I can I can buy it in you know zombie movies, but yeah, because not everyone who gets bitten turns right. Uh, how no, yeah, they all they, they all do. do. They okay. all, well, I mean, they don't. The turn ones that anything, don't turn just, turn just die. Yeah, they just, okay. so just start eating people. They just get this urge. I I don't know if this is some kind of like. Vietnam War allegory or whatsoever, which I doubt. Not watching this fucking movie, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think they just. But w- what's really interesting, I I I enjoy this movie. Um, it's like First Blood meets Cronenberg's Rabid, mm-hmm. especially in the first like thirty minutes. It it, it it really kicks into high gear pretty early. You got um, the whole. Vietnam War battle scene, which is not really a battle scene. It's you just got some awesome stock footage you, there too. Oh yes, yes, terrific sc- uh, stock footage. Yeah, but you have a scene with a dog that has an explosive tied to its collar, <laughs> fucking blowing up people. Yeah. So right there, like I mean, that's the first like thirty seconds yeah. of the movie. Um, and then yeah, uh, the one cannibalistic soldier who is in a mental institution is released. Who is played by. John Morgan, whose real name is Giovanni Lombardo Radici, which means I'm just going to fucking call him John Morgan forever. Um, he's released. He starts some shit with some bikers, and he bites a girl getting felt up in a movie theater, <laughs> runs away, and starts a standoff in a supermarket where it's just him shooting at cops with a shotgun. And like this, some biker gang. That and and some up. biker gang. And... This is just the first 30 minutes of the movie. John Saxon's kind of called in sort of like Troutman in First Blood. And, uh, yeah, it's gruesome. It's great. My only problem with this movie is this is... Only? All right. (laughs) We'll get to that later. But the big problem is that this movie is 1980, and this is kind of like post-Dawn of the Dead, when Italian movies especially went wild with being splatter movies. I mean, if you watch a movie that's... Similar to this movie, um, Lindsay's City of the Walking Dead, which is just like wall-to-wall outrageous carnage. This movie's kind of tame compared to it. And it's not like this is, you know, uh, a quote-unquote real good movie as opposed to, you know, a so-bad-it's-fun type movie. Right. That you kind of want more of that exploitable trash elements in there. But, um... Yeah, it's certainly trashy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of wish that, yeah, it was more gruesome, more wild. But, I mean, there's still plenty of that in there. It's just that when you put it in the regard of City of the Walking Dead or Cannibal Holocaust, you know, this is definitely a lot more tame. But what's really interesting about it is, you know, from the title Cannibal Apocalypse, you think it's one of those movies that is just going to ape the success of right. jungle holocaust, cannibal holocaust, that whole cannibal subgenre, and it's nothing like that at all. I mean, the only jungle yeah, scene is exactly in the, in the beginning. In the very beginning, yeah. Aside from that, it pretty much is a whole. It's, yeah, they went a whole different direction, bringing it back to like. Yeah, I mean, even even to go back to to like how wild and crazy Italian movies were. The there were cannibal movies prior 
to Dawn of the Dead. There was uh, Jungle Holocaust and Man from Deep River. Mm-hmm. And they were... I think Man from Deep River is actually acknowledged as being the, the first, first one. one. Yeah. And those movies, I mean, they're gruesome, but they're they're kind of tame. But the ones that came post-Dawn of the Dead, like post-Zombie, that was like Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Pharaoh and Eaten Live by the Cannibals. Those ones are the ones that just kind of go all the way. Right. And it just shows you, like, because Dawn of the Dead was a massive success in yeah. Italy. And, yeah, everybody was just trying to ape it, you know, within, like, six months. But, Do we uh, know for a fact that that dog didn't get really blown up? I'm sure, it, I'm sure it didn't. I, I don't, I mean. You never know. But. Yeah, no on them. <laughs> but um, I, I don't think they really blew up a dog. I don't, I, I oh, hope not. At yeah. least not by 1980, anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the same year as Cannibal Holocaust, and they how many what how many animals are on the kill count in Cannibal Holocaust? Like five or six. The or? turtle, the pig, the muskrat, monkey, monkey. <laughs> anyway, anyway, on a, on a lighter tone, what was I talking about? All right, so yeah, um, Cannibal Hol- uh, Cannibal Apocalypse. It's a it's a fun ride. It is slow at parts. It is, you know, surprisingly because I mean. So it, much happens in and, the first thirty yeah. minutes. It starts off really well, and then it kind of it kind of slows. There's a there's a sweet re, re, sexual liaison with the neighbor girl and John right. Saxon. There's some serious jailbait there, which I don't even understand because it goes nowhere. It ends up not having anything to do with anything. At, at the end, at the end of the movie, they're they're cannibals too. <laughs> they eat the ant. They eat their mean ant that they live with. They yeah, the jailbait great. daughter and her little brother. I guess I guess he did bite her. Uh, yeah, that's pretty that's, much it. It's like the awakening of his weird inner cannibal. Speaking of which, the 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 really chill black exploitation soundtrack that yeah. plays during the My Lai massacre scene is uh, is very jarring. You yeah. know, you would think something more dramatic would be playing while they're massacring yeah. all these people. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like they're shooting innocent villagers. I mean, there's definitely bad guys that are shooting back at them. Yeah. But there are people like unarmed people that they just indiscriminately blow away. No, like definitely looks like there was no mission. They were just there to just destroy everything. But, um, Joe, why don't, why don't you go on and tell us what you didn't like about Cannibal Apocalypse? Because from, from your face, it seems like you you weren't as impressed with this. You didn't have as much fun as I did. Well, I, I think you, you basically touched on the, the main culprit, which is in this type of movie, you want there to be more of that trash going on. And though it has it, it feels like it doesn't have enough of the trash. There's a definite, um, like they're trying to walk a fine line, but they're not really walking either side of it very well. If that makes sense, I, I see where you, yeah. Right. But uh, it, it's it to, to not not to not to intrude, but it's well put together, like. He was uh, the guy who directed us, Antonio Margarita. He did a lot of action movies, and there's a lot of like mm-hmm. energetic camera work going on in there that really helps the action kind of move along in a pace. It, it didn't really move along for me that well, and for me, okay. So just a little backstory for me on this movie: I watched this movie four times and kept on <laughs> falling asleep, and it wasn't even. It was like seven o'clock, and yeah. so um, it's. But for me, it felt like there was like some big 
action-packed sequences that were strung together by boring. And, like, you had the opening jungle, you had the hospital scenes, or you had the, the standoff like, yeah. at, at, the, at the store, the hospital scene, the street brawl into the sewer, and, the, and like, yeah. everything in between that was kind of, like, it just took a while to get to those things. I kind of wish, I don't know, um, I, I wish there was more going on throughout the whole movie. Yeah, the, the, the sequence starting with John Morgan going to the theater and going through to the the uh the standoff in 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 the flea market store is pretty snappy and there's a lot of action and some cool gore and violence uh there's also him I'm pretty sure almost getting hit by that guy on a motorcycle yeah. that comes about 2 inches from from his face as the guy pops a wheelie going by him. The, um, later on in the movie, they meet up with the biker gang again. For some reason, they yeah. want to they want to beat up John Morgan. Yes, they two. inexplicably meet up with the biker gang. They just pop out of that nowhere. That just pops up out of nowhere conveniently. And, and did you notice that one of them just happens to be dressed as just like a, a member of the Spiders from Deadbeat at Dawn? Oh, yeah, He's yeah. like randomly like wearing a weird mask yeah. and ready yeah. to fight. John I, Saxon. I can almost see like a bandana. Like remember, like some sort yeah. of bandana. I actually, I see. I I should have thought of Deadbeat at Dawn, but my lazy brain actually thought of Warriors. When yeah, I saw that. Yeah, same kind of style. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think one of the reasons this movie was kind of tame. Um, the director, he he's kind of one of those uh, mavericks that directed movies in all genres. You know, one of those Italian exploitation. Right guys who did you know the macaroni combat he did the sword and sandal um he did i watched a movie recently that he did with lee majors called Mm. killer fish and it was actually a lot of fun it was part heist part disaster film part animals attack and lee majors and this group of people steal a thing of diamonds and they hide it in this dam in this is brazil by the way and first off, the opening heist is incredible. It's lots of uh, miniatures get blown up during this miniature heist. And um, did I just say miniature heist? <laughs> um, no, that sounds pretty interesting. What, what happens is they hide it in the, the jewels that they stole. They hide it in a dam. And it turns out so that nobody can betray him. One of the guys decided to stuff the dam full of piranha. <laughs> well, so then, like, the movie goes on, like, different members of the of the gang try to, like, sneak in there, not knowing they're piranha, they jump in, they get eaten, but the whole, the action takes place kind of, like, on a resort, and a tornado comes by, destroys the dam, piranha are everywhere, all the characters are trapped on a boat, and it's sort of like this double-cross, triple-cross heist movie with other people trapped on a sinking boat in a river, Filled of piranha, and it it's, sounds fantastic. It, it, it's 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 a lot of fun. Yeah, but um, the movies that that Margarita really known for uh, were his kind of black and white gothic, like um, Mario Bava esque, you know, like Black Sunday. Did he do Castle of Blood? Castle of Blood is his okay. like most popular one, I as love well Castle as Castle of Blood. Um, that that's known as like his best movie by a lot of people. Uh, he did Virgin and Nuremberg. Okay. Christopher Lee, and he did uh, Long Hair of Death. Which I, I also like. I, I yeah, and, liking and I, I read an interview with him. Barbara Steele is in that also. Yes, yes, that and Castle of Blood. And uh, 
he was talking about horror movies and he said that all horror movies should be made in black and white. Like that's his sensibility. Mm. And so I'm thinking him tackling the splatter genre, he just wasn't the right person to do it. And this movie is definitely, you know, more gruesome. Like I don't want to downplay it. There's lots of gore in it. It actually has one of John Morgan's best death scenes, which is saying a lot. Courtesy of Giannetta De Rossi, who does a fantastic job with gore in everything that, that he's ever touched. But I mean, like that that scene was, yeah, that made ter- the whole movie kind of worth it. Yeah, you know? like like it's it's one of the best shotgun deaths ever. Yeah, and you know, and, compar- <laughs> and like this is the guy who got his brains drilled out and gets a hell and the top of his head hacked off and right. make them die slowly. So it's saying something. Yeah, I actually wonder if. Uh, Steve Odekirk borrowed the hole through the torso for Kung Pao. It's just That's... a movie that I'm sure few people are going to give a shit about. But I just thought I would bring it up anyway. Is there are there other blow a hole in a torso and peek through it deaths? I'm sure there are. There are, but none come to mind right now. I'm, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure once we stop recording, like five of them will pop yeah. up in conversation. <laughs> but um. Yeah, he, he's episode. also he's also known he's done a lot of uh, good action movies. He's done movies with David Warbeck, okay, um, that are kind of like Indiana Jones type things. Mm-hmm. But uh, one movie that he directed that I absolutely love uh, is Wild Wild Planet, which is really it's a mid '60s psychedelic science fiction movie that's a part of the series called the Gamma One series and there were four movies that he made simultaneously and this is, these are actually the movies that Franco Nero uh, made his debut in okay. and Wild Wild Planet is the best known one probably because it's like by far the best one and if you if you ever if you take the time to just look at the one sheet go on Google and just type in Wild Wild Planet poster right there it tells you all you need to know it, it, it's fantastic it's imaginative as great special effects i mean it's all like miniatures and uh people in weird costumes it's very if you look at uh a movie like destroy all monsters the minus the giant monsters but like you know the the people and weird space suits and the aliens and such it's like that type of movie and uh what's really neat about it is after that he actually met up with stanley kubrick who wanted to hire him to help with the effects in 2001 a space odyssey because apparently stanley kubrick was a fan of wild wild planet and <laughs> yeah that's it's pretty wild and another thing i know I'm, I'm segueing here but what's interesting about the gamma one series there were four movies they were supposed to be made for tv but they released them theatrically uh the producers wanted to make another one without margariti and they did it in japan and it's an unofficial sequel, sort of like how like Ilza, the Wicked Warden, is like an unofficial sequel to She Wolf the SS and Tigress of Siberia. It's actually the Green Slime, and they uh-huh. retitled Gamma One to Gamma Three. And you know, I think like two of the leads are still there, and Kinji Fukasaku directs. And it's probably outside of giant monster movies, my favorite Japanese man in monster costume movie by far i mean green slime is a very fun movie it's it's terrific it's terrific and that was the start of i think kinji fukasaku did movies before that but i think that was like his first like one that kind of went abroad and of course he went on in the 70s to direct all those awesome yakuza flicks like 
mm-hmm. uh, Battles Without Honor, Humanity, and Cops versus Thugs, and Graveyard of Honor. Right. But uh, yeah, like I said, Margariti was a very prolific person. He was like Mario Bava, where he worked in different genres. He yeah. had his hands in all the effects. He was just kind of like a jack of all trades, and he just kind of. It was almost like he loved the process more than the movies themselves, right. you know, and, and it just happened to be a good job. This movie uh, obviously was was kind of like made for like the international market, and uh, but one thing that kind of stuck out to me was I didn't. I've seen a lot of movies that where the ADR is kind of noticeably all yeah. over the place, and this one. Um, there was very evident of that. Like there was, you know, it was John Saxon's voice, but yeah. everyone else was ADR'd pretty much. And it was, uh, it was interesting to see that contrast. Well, the thing about Italian movies, um, because they're made for the international market. Right. I mean, they do well in, or back in the day they did all right in Italy, but they were mostly made kind of like for Germany and Japan who ate the shit up. And then the grindhouse market mm-hmm. in America. And apparently since these were made for international markets, they never bothered to record sound when they made the movies. Okay. Every actor kind of had to sign on to do a day or two of ADR in post-production. Or sometimes they had dubbers. Like in this movie in particular, the, there's a, a a cop, not the lead yeah. cop, but the second cop. Okay, yeah. Who is a voice who's in every Italian horror film I've ever seen. He does Al Cliver's was, voice in Zombie. The, the guy who's usually attached to Al Cliver's yes. face. He's he's he, I I don't know if that guy's still alive. I want to meet him. I mean, he's the one actor that I love that I've never. I don't know what he looks like because I just see him do dubbing for every single right, yeah. Italian horror movie that I I love, and uh, and I think he does like multiple characters in movies because sometimes he'll do like there'll be another like peripheral character that'll have a line or two that's like oh it's that guy's voice again. But um yeah he's in every Lucio Fulci movies and like every Umberto Lenzi movie. But yeah, I have no idea who he is. It might look like it's about to fall. There you go. There we go. And uh, yeah, and I don't. I, all right, go and say something nice about Cannibal Apocalypse, Joe. I want you to say something nice. I complimented the the gore effects. the The blood actually looks really good in this movie. It it doesn't look like fake blood. The gore effects are pretty well done. You can tell that Gino De Rossi is probably, you know, working on a constrained budget and time, but he still manages to come through anyway. Uh, when it's moving, it's really moving and it's fun, in spite of how a lot of it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense as you're paying attention. Uh, like the for, for for example the the nurse lady just about to say that <laughs> yeah. who, who who by the way wasn't she in pieces i thought i recognized you her you know she pieces. was definitely in in something you know what she was in this is a little weird bit of trivia you know john uh john morgan goes in the movie theater and that's when he bites the one girl randomly yes. and that starts everything um, he goes to see a movie called From Hell to Victory, which apparently has that nurse lady in it. Oh, okay. Which is just a piece of trivia that no one really <laughs> needs to know. But So she turns, because she was bitten in that weird uh, 
plan that I don't know what exactly John Morgan and his yeah what why don't they eat each other you know like why do they all everybody who who gets for, still I'm still puzzled why there's a virus that turns people into cannibals that's never explained yeah but then you know why would wouldn't they just go completely crazy and start eating each other they just they they team up and create some weird gang that that flees the city from the police maybe it's like in you know other movies where you know it's like zombies don't really eat each other they just yeah but i can understand that because zombies want maybe they want to eat something warm as opposed to something something that went yeah. through rigor mortis yeah. you know but cannibal people like they, they like why i i can that, see like that marine like brotherhood that's what i was saying but that but the, the nurse person. but the nurse doesn't fit in that in yeah, that you gotta paradigm. Have, you got to have like some some squeeze, you know, following you around. She, she doesn't even seem that interested in. It. <laughs> but w- what I don't understand is why does she then break them out of the joint, and then there's then John Saxon shows up and he starts helping them yeah, escape it, the joint. It, like I don't understand yeah, what never, the hell was going on. It's definitely flown together and you just got to kind of take the movie's word for it. When when she after you find out that she's she's all cannibalistic because what happened to the the one guy bitter. Mm-hmm. Um she sneaks into the room where John Morgan and his partner are restrained. I was like, "Oh wow, this she's going to just eat them." Right. You know, but she releases them like they, like yeah. I said, it's just some kind of no, there, weird camaraderie that just forms. There was some, yeah, there, 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 there was a little inconsistency with like how feral they acted in yeah. certain instances and how like level headed. Yes. You know, yes. Yeah. Uh, they were in others like, where, you know, it, it's, it was, it was definitely inconsistent and very confusing. All right. I'm reaching here okay. and I'm reaching very far. I'm to the point where Joe's going to give me one of those looks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is the ending in the sewers a parallel to Vietnam to their time in Vietnam together they are they are veterans that are just kind of cast aside by society just like Rambo in First Blood which to be fair this movie is two years before First Blood so mm. but I mean that whole thing about veterans kind of being forgotten about right. and like thrown into the gutters there's rats yeah there's a trap flamethrower there's a flamethrower in the there. main detective is just like oh they're in the sewers that's where they belong yeah you know the, um, when John Morgan bites it he's stuck in that steel trap mm-hmm. like just like a Viet Cong trap and he can't get through that, I guess that's kind of like, you I mean, I, I mean, I think I'm just making shit are, up, but, but at the same time, like, yeah, fuck I, 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 I like can it. see that. Yeah, you know, it, it's it like, makes a little bit of sense. But then where does the I'm not interested in your dirty little war line come into well, play? Well, yeah, maybe maybe she kind of got the, the symbolism. Maybe, maybe she read the script and uh, <laughs> <laughs> she she saw what I'm seeing. And that's why what what happens to her? I forget how she she bites it. Oh, the the nurse. Yeah, does she oh, get flamethrowered? No, she just gets shot to pieces, like trying to cross. Like, yeah, she gets. Shot. Yeah, that's right. The 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 um the other guy gets flamethrowered. Right, and no one seems to care. No, yeah. no, it's it's, it's really... John Saxon. He was he was broken hearted a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, but John Saxon and uh, John Morgan are the two that are very. They they're like the buddy buddy of the group. Right. But all right. Um. I am drawing a blank. What is the Impetigo song based on this movie? What is the song? Yeah, there, is, is it, it Cannibals in the Streets? 
Didn't they do a song called Cannibal That's what Apocalypse I mean. That's, that didn't make it onto it, a record, right? It, it was on a split, and and that split, um, it's been a while, but that split has the original version of Boneyard with the slightly different lyrics. Okay. Is, is it Cannibal Apocalypse? I thought it was Cannibals in the Streets. Or is I'm it, pretty sure it's called Cannibal Apocalypse. All right, then I'm thinking of a t-shirt. They have a t-shirt that had on the back that said Cannibals in the Streets. But remember, it was, it's a split with somebody was it something that came out uh, posthumously? I, mm, I assume maybe. I was thinking. I think because it, I don't think they did any splits in their active I tenure. Th- I don't think. No, I thought they did. I know. I'm not. I'm not I can't. I think know of they who did it, it with post breakup. That's what I mean. Didn't they do a? They did a split with blood. Was that? Well, I thought that was, they did that during. I think any splits that feature them came out after they had already called Wait it a, a second. day. What is on their EP Primitives? Is that the is that the one I'm thinking of? I do not recall. It's been a while. Every time I listen to Impetigo now, I, I it's just one of the two albums or the Faceless EP. Yes. Yeah. That's correct. The other stuff it, it sounds great. When I'm in like a really weird punky mood, it's terrific. But for the most part, when I listen to Impetigo, it's Horror of the Zombies. And then the other 20% of the time, it's either Faceless or Ultimo Mondo Cannibal. All right, anyway, anyway, I, nobody <laughs> wants to hear about Impetigo. Um, all right, Andrew, what, what's your final verdict on Cannibal Apocalypse? I mean, I enjoyed it. Like, it's uh, the version I watched was kind of, uh, it wasn't the best quality. And so I, I felt like a lot of the shots, like, uh, the, the, the fun parts of the movie like were actually shot really well there was like some ingenuity behind it yeah yeah and, i mean um, it's definitely made by a creative person right and so uh, aside from it just kind of being pieced together by just you know less than amusing scenes like i i i think it's a fun watch i mean um granted I, like i said i fell asleep a couple times but like i, I made <laughs> that's not I, a good I, yeah i made it through that and like i mean those parts that were that were good uh were were definitely worth the watch. I, I have a soft spot for this because I originally saw this as a kid on VHS when it was titled Invasion of the Flesh Hunters. Okay. Which is which is a wonderful title, which is a thousand times better. Yeah, than, I like that. They definitely went with this title to cash in on right? Like, yeah, I would imagine yeah, cannibal yeah, stuff. cannibal this, yeah. cannibal that. Is there anything else we want to say about Cannibal Apocalypse before uh we, we move on to Wicked Wicked? No, check it out. I mean it has some cool dismemberment parts this contagious con- cannibalism or whatever you call it i it's one of those movies where I, I do you ever do you ever play in when you watch a movie and you have like a better version of the movie play in your head simultaneously it's one of those <laughs> that's a better memory than <laughs> yeah you're, you're, you're doing reshoots as you're yeah, watching and, it and not only that like i kind of wish that like okay like Kind of like, um, I had done it this way. Or, none of that. Like I'm like uh, this is you know I wish Umberto Lenzi did this one. Right. You know I bet you this would be like if this was a uh, quasi sequel to Nightmare City. Hmm. And uh, I kind of felt that way about the next movie too, Wicked Wicked. Okay, we're gonna get on to that. All right, I guess we're just gonna move over to Wicked Wicked then. Yes. All right. Uh, anybody want to give us a quick little little synopsis to Wicked? Or are you gonna trailer. do the trailer? Yeah. The most exciting new storytelling technique in film history, anamorphic duovision, a new film experience. You don't need glasses to see twice the action, twice the excitement. 
This is a single screen preview of the first feature film production in Duovision. An action-packed thriller from MGM. Wicked, wicked. When was the last time you were really frightened by a film? You'll be doubly afraid when you see Wicked, Wicked in Duovision. Wicked, Wicked, a bizarre tale of mystery and terror. Come in. It's not long. See the suspense thriller of the year. Wicked, Wicked in Duovision. From MGM, rated PG. All right, yeah, Wicked Wicked. Um, basically, the the plot behind Wicked Wicked is takes place in some some old uh, hotel, a big resort, uh, where it kind of focuses on a, a maintenance worker. There, he's kind of like the handyman for the hotel, who basically uh, just spends his time being weird and uh, uh, <laughs> fixing things. And um, what, what are some of the weird things he likes to do? <laughs> Well, the, the the main one is he likes to put on a monster mask and kill blondes. Yes. So, yes. Um, but yeah, he, he lives in the crawl space of the hotel, uh, uh, collecting these blonde victims. Uh, you see him draining blood and things like that. You don't really know what he's doing with them. He's just murdering them in a uh, frightening fashion. Um, and, uh, yeah. All right. No, go on, go on. But basically, yeah, so he, he, as girls start going missing, uh, they just assume that these, uh, pretty blonde girls are just, uh, staying at night and skipping on their bill. Yes. And so, um, they have no idea, they, the, nor do they investigate much on why these girls are disappearing frequently. Um, until the, the, I guess the house detective, he's like the security for. Yeah, um, that, that's what, that was very interesting that this hotel just has a built in security guy. Right. Who doesn't really seem to know much about the hotel. No. He's always going to different people for, no. about, like, He's he's basically he's just a he's kind of a stud ex cop yeah. who just whores around a little bit at this hotel. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like I I know he always goes to certain people that you know that work there too to ask questions. Like he doesn't know anything about. It would have been made much more sense if they hired, if he was a character who, who was a private investigator that they hired to right. discover what was going on. As no, but to, he was just there for just any kind of like mysteries yeah, to solve. Like, yeah, and um, yeah, he's the one who kind of. Uh, gets kind of catches wind or gets a little suspicious as girls start to go missing. But of course they, uh, there's the, the hotel owner or manager doesn't want any of that. No bad PR or anything like that. And eventually he just kind of disappears from the movie. Uh, the, the angry manager, angry owner. So. Why don't more importantly, why don't you talk about the movie's gimmick? What movie oh, yeah, sells the, itself on? Oh, the duo vision. Yeah. This film is a uh, shot in duo vision. Basically a split screen, like De Palma style, uh, except they went overboard with it and did the entire movie that way. So. I, I have the original one sheet of this movie, and it's it, it has two different yeah. pictures, and it says, um, see the hunted, see the hunter, all in the same time. <laughs> and it's like... It's, it's definitely a selling point of the movie. Uh, they, I don't think I've ever heard this movie mentioned anywhere without uh, Duo Vision being kind of like... Just yeah, I rarely. Your brain. I unfortunately rarely hear this movie ever being mentioned, mentioned and, yeah. and I think it's a shame because I think it's a really fun movie. It, it has its flaws, you know. It has oh, pacing certainly. problems, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, 
but it, it's very humorous. It's very tongue in cheek. It's early seventies, and it has that kind of light, um, ghoulish fun vibe of a movie, sort of like uh, the Undertaker and his pals. You know, like right. the, that type of film. Although it's a bit more polished than that. I mean, MGM released it. Right. It it, it kind of resembles something. Uh, in in that era of of Mario Bava's filmography, with the with the fun, kind of cranked up a yeah. little bit. Um, I'm trying to think of another movie that, uh, like Psychomania, where it's it's a, a horror movie, but there's definitely a very carnival ride, you know, f- thrill going on with it. Yeah, yeah, and it has. Uh I mean, it looks like it has a decent budget, but it still kind of looked lo-fi a bit. And, uh, yeah. Um, I think it's because there's not been an official release of this movie. Every bootleg I've seen is from TCM. Like uh, somebody just ripped it off. Yeah, okay. they just they, they recorded it off of TCM like 12 years ago, if that. You would think, actually, that TCM would do what Warner does and do like the MOD yeah. DVDs for all the shit that they have in their catalog. Yeah, why what, don't like, they? What, VOD type style? Like video on demand? They do. Um, they actually no, partnered uh, up with uh, Criterion, I think. Well, what, what, no, I mean, um, like MOD, like they, they actually make you a disc. Oh, okay. So they do this with books now. I, I remember buying a book and then, like, it was clearly printed. The day, like it was like I ordered it. It came two days later. Yeah, and they clearly just like made that book for me, <laughs> which made me feel kind of special. <laughs> but anyway, um, to get back to Wicked Wicked, um, but yeah, so Duo Vision, and yeah, it, when I first watched this movie, um, I was like, oh wow, we're gonna see it from like the perspective of the the murderer the entire time, you know. And it, I thought it would be some like kind of mystery. Okay. Um, and no, you you know who the murderer is yeah. very early, which on. which I think kind of spoils a little bit of the no, fun. Yeah, I think if sure. it was a whodunit, it would have been a lot more fun. Yeah. But um, I got a little confused with the duo vision too because not only was it kind of showing you different shots that were happening simultaneously, it did a lot of flashbacks too. And some of them, I was like. I, it took me a while to realize that it was a flashback. Yeah, and I was just like. But the thing is, they use the duo vision. Like I said, if if, if we explain, it, you know, there, there's two screens going on simultaneously: right. the left side and the right side. Like you said, it's like at the palm. It's like watching two movies at the same time. And and they they get a lot of humor out of it. They they do a lot more humor with it than they do suspense. Right. And there there's one scene in particular where. Uh, uh, the guy is talking to this old lady and she's talking about her time as this famous, fantastic ballerina. Yeah. And on the other side, you just, just see her spaz. dancing naked in some like whorehouse in somewhere. France. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, there's a few, there's a few other things where, um, well, she's talking about her career, and it shows that she's just kind of like a you know a shitty the topless actress. dancer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then she there's she's also talking about like her lovely husband that what great times they had. And on the other screen, you're yeah. watching her get beaten. Yeah, um, a lot. But like, there's lots of those jokes. I remember the killer is talking to one person, and they're like, "Oh, what did you do today?" He's like, "Oh, I was fixing the lights." And then you see him in his like weird little corner in the attic and bombing this naked blonde. Right. Uh, the one movie that this movie has a lot in common with is Phantom of the Paradise. And it's not just right. because of that Brian De Palma split screen, which is, you know, in that a lot. 
uh, but also they riff really hard off of Phantom right. of the Opera. Yeah, it's kind of like the yeah, the, you know, there's the, the stepchild, like yeah, of, uh, it, it just yeah, it bases a lot of the premise on it. The killer like lives in this building. Yeah. He he lurks. Yeah, he's the, like a weirdo, and he's just yeah. kind of like an outcast. Haunts from the crawl spaces yeah. and everything. Yeah, it's uh, but uh, what I should say, uh, I first saw this movie. Uh, at a horathon, twenty-four hour horathon, the second one that Exum films does every every October, and I had never seen it. And I actually came in like thirty seconds, maybe a minute or two after the title, so I didn't even know what it was called the whole time I watched it. And it was with a full crowd, and the whole crowd loved it. They were kind of like at first bewildered, and then once they caught on to what was going on. Mm. Everybody laughed at all the right parts. Everybody reacted to all the right parts. It's definitely a movie. And now realizing, because I watched it for the first time the other night for this podcast, since then, I've always recommended it to people. It is a movie to watch with a crowd. Watch yeah, it with yeah. the people that are going to I'm love it. I'm definitely jealous of, of Yeah, it's scene. not it's not nearly as fun when you're just sitting there alone. Right. Like Even if, obviously, you can't get a 35-millimeter print and play it to a bunch of weirdos that you just get off the streets. Mm-hmm. But if you have... Friends, a group of you know, a gang of people. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I doubt you have that many friends. <laughs> but uh, if you can, if you can somehow get you know eight to twelve people and just be like, sit back and watch this, and and especially if they if they have an appreciation for macabre humor, it's a good time. It's definitely a a, a crowd movie, right? And um. One other thing is like that struck me as bizarre throughout the whole movie. Uh, like it was shot uh, with the the score of the original oh, talent, uh, and they actually Phantom of the Opera, and they actually keep the organist going back to the organist yeah. playing it well, like during the dramatic it's sequences. Some weird old lady who they yeah. never like met, like doesn't have anything to do with the movie. I think, really, I, I love it. I think, and it's I think that's great. It was like the the whole time I was like, did I miss something? No, no it's just they like just, this old lady playing well, the organ. The, since the movie shot in duo vision it's two movies playing simultaneously they had to make they had to film two movies yeah. you know back to back one for left screen one for right screen yeah I'm kind of wondering what came first the idea of doing duo vision or I think um, though I got a feeling it was sort of like a William Castle thing where they kind of came up with this gimmick and, and, and threw a script yeah it's like they it. got a lot of footage we can but do this twice you can tell that since they had to make a you know one movie twice that the budget was a bit, you know, low, and some scenes just like the the conversation goes a little bit longer than it should, or you watch a person walk down the hall a little longer than you can, just to kind of pad out the runtime and save on the budget. Right. And apparently, this movie was directed by a, a gentleman named Richard L. Bear, which at first I thought was a pseudonym. It sounded like somebody who did like those '60s nudie movies that yeah. like Herschel Gordon Lewis would do, and. um but no, he he was mostly a television actor. He actually did a lot of Twilight Zone episodes. Uh, my favorite of the bunch he did was To Serve Man, yeah. the one that with the the aliens that give us the book, and it turns out it's a cookbook. And To Serve Man was the they oh, eat us. Oh um, I love that episode. <laughs> Shut up. And uh, <laughs> but anyway, he he had just died recently at the age of a hundred and two. The director of Wicked Wicked. Well, anyway. Um, 
when this movie came out, it got favorable reviews, mixed, but mostly kind of like people, critics appreciated it. But it didn't really do too well box office. And he wondered why, because they didn't feel like it got the advertising it needed. Well, apparently one of the people, I think it was working at MGM at the time, who, who was, you know, one of the money men, was skimming money off the top of this movie to pump in. He was building a hotel in California himself. Uh, and he was taking money from the from the advertising budget Wicked Wicked to, to I think it was like a hotel slash casino thing maybe. Mm-hmm. But um I didn't know they had those in California. I felt only I only I always thought Las Vegas, Reno and Atlantic City were the only places to well, Atlantic City, not until the 80s, right? We didn't have casinos until the 80s. I'm not sure. No. I, th- I think it was a little bit later into the game. Yeah, it, it, Atlantic City became Atlantic City in the very beginning of the 80s. Did you hear that? Yeah. That was like a fucking... I just put the water bottle down a little hard, and it was like a, a seance wrapping. <laughs> But yeah, the uh, whole duo vision of this movie, though, I just felt like there are certain scenes where I'm watching these side-by-side shots, and I'm just like, this would look so much better if it was just competently, like, cut, you know, into one frame, yeah. you know? And I'm just like, and, and like, the whole, yeah, I, I could totally see, like, a De Palma, like, doing something real cool with a shot. Yeah. Uh, but instead, they just went with the two the entire time. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. All the, all the camera work is very one shot, two shot, one right. shot. Yeah, there's, it's, there's no real need for it. And, like, that's why I was kind of disappointed when they didn't do something creative with the duo vision. Like, sometimes it is, they're showing a completely different part of the movie and that's cool but sometimes it's literally like it's like oh yeah but it's showing uh two people talking to each other and it's like they're side by side yeah. talking to each other and like it's uh, i don't know it's some part sometimes it worked and i felt like those were the parts where showing the side by side the split shots would be a really effective but I don't know. Yeah, it's just it was kind of weird. It was a little a little confusing at times. Uh, like I like I said, it, it has its flaws. And when you're watching it with a group of people who are really digging it, it's right. much more forgivable. You see, all, you see past all that. Yeah, you're, you're less nitpicky and just enjoying the, the experience. I think the last like five minutes, the finale is, is what makes it. I mean, when they yeah. when they get to the killer's like hidden compartment with all the dead bodies and. I don't oh, want to spoil yeah. it, but the ending. No, I'm going to spoil it. Like, I mean, him jumping out of this window was <laughs> like I, that was I, well, I, I was right, by right. myself watching it, and I was laughing hysterically. If we're if we're going to spoil it, um, the they wrestle away the blonde from him, and he he's standing outside the window, and he's sort of like, all right, well, I'm going to jump. And, uh, and if you just, get any closer, and the, and the cop looks at the I'm private. Use some reverse psychology on him. I'm going to use reverse psychology on him. This always works with these nutters. He's like, "Yeah, go ahead, jump. I doubt you have the guts." And the guy's like, "Okay." And then he just jumps and yeah. he gets impaled on this. And fence. it was it was weird. It was like this weird psychedelic kind of oh, yeah. uh, sequence of him slow, falling out yeah, this window. Yeah, slow motion on both both the dual yeah, vision both screens. <laughs> yeah. And then he just gets impaled <laughs> on the fence. And uh, no, that was fantastic. Like it. And then it kind of turned. I don't know. Just some of the the comedic elements throughout the movie were were kind of odd. Like there was some fourth wall being broken. Yeah, yeah. uh, A lot of the humor, a lot of the movie in general, it feels shot from the hip. It feels, you know, not very um, planned. I want to say it's just, and I think that kind of gives it that quality. Like it it helps it, improves it, as opposed to. Well, that that probably has a lot to do with 
like you said, it's like they ended up having to essentially shoot two movies. Yeah. So there was probably a lot of, uh, uh, yeah, I guess this. Yeah, going yeah, on. That, that, I, that makes a lot of sense. What's funny about that is that sometimes I felt that uh, they wouldn't have the like the two cameras doing a shot like that. You know, they would do oh the the back shot this way and then changing the angle on the shot. I felt like they literally shot the same scene twice because some of the things didn't really sync up that yeah. were happening in each frame. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. That was just funny to point out. It's a fun movie, and it's uh, there's there's one part there's there's a suspense part that actually does work when they find out that the killer is hiding in the blonde girl's apartment, and the one screen has the killer. He, he's locked the door, and the, they so the people coming to help her can't get in. And you see him like lurking the apartment, and the other screen is the blonde girl hiding right. by the wall. And it actually, it was, it was suspenseful. It worked. It got kind of creeped out. And yeah. like, if I wonder, I guess because the gimmick is so outrageous that you couldn't make a serious, scary horror movie out of it. Because plot wise, it's close to Psycho and Peeping Tom, that kind of neurotic kid that, I mean, like young adult, I'd say. Right. That is you know attracted to women and and their reactions to being fucking murdered but uh and with like i said with this gimmick it they must realize yeah it had to be tongue-in-cheek but i do i am curious if you could make a version of this movie or at least like a short like a, a that's that's duo vision the whole time but it's suspenseful and it's scary right no i think uh, it could have done a little bit better with that i mean it could have been a really cool movie with some split uh, like dual vision style work, and but it just didn't didn't need to be the whole movie. Um, but I understand that was like the uh, the selling point. Of I'm it. curious if 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 they saw the Palma movie and that's where they got the I think idea. It came out the same year as the De Palma movie as Sisters, but yeah. I think that's not the first one he did. Split. I think he made. Um, I want to say, what's that weird play movie that De Palma made? That the whole movie is in split screen. It's a uh, Dionysus in '69. <coughs> um, it sounds. I, I think the the title is familiar, but I I've never. It's seen it's it. it's a play, and the reason because the play is it's one of those theater acts that um it involves audience participation. So De Palma, when he made it, he he was thinking like I can't just shoot the 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 you know the theater. I have to get the the audience reaction out of it. And that's where he got the idea of doing the split screen. Yeah. And so he could do silent. You're watching the play and you're watching the, the audience go. I've never seen it. I want to, I've never seen any De Palma movies before Sisters. Which, oh, wait, never mind, never mind. I've seen Hi, Mom. Where, where does Phantom of the Paradise fall? It's right after uh, Sisters. Okay. I love Phantom of the Paradise. I wish Wicked Wicked was as good as Fan of the Paradise, and I could I would watch both of these movies back to back because they have that certain kind of like you know oh, yeah. charm and flair to them. But yeah, it's it's interesting that um, but that is it's such a weird uh, coincidence that this movie was kind of like ripping off uh, De Palma's style, and then De Palma went and like kind yeah. of ripped off Fan yeah. of the Opera. Yeah, like, it's just it, weird. It was, it is a very interesting. I I don't think that anybody was really stealing from anybody, but I just think it's one of those odd coincidences that just kind of worked. Right. 
Do we think that Bava was a direct influence on a lot of the the color lighting? And, and like the blues and the reds. Like yeah, in, in Wicked Wicked, there's a lot of scenes where there's yeah. like a, lots of color especially, gel action going at, especially on. Especially at the end when they find the killer's lair with all the dead bodies is definitely right. I I, I mean I can't. I I honestly think that. Mario Baba was a massive influence on a lot of people because when he kind of did something immediately after it got really, you know, it was done a lot. Um, and, I, and there's so many directors from all over the place from, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese to Tim Burton that like sing his praises. I know, I remember reading uh, Joe Dante saying that Mario Baba is arguably the first cult director. Because there were people in like old, you know, fanzines like Castle Frankenstein and the like, who always sung his praises, and they always would meet up because they knew, you know, it was the one. I'm, I'm grasping. I'm trying to say what I'm trying to say here. The, everybody knew him, but they didn't really know anybody else who knew him and then you'd meet somebody like you know this weird yeah. Italian guy they had like a following yeah like yeah and there was like and this was before there was like you know cult movie was right. a thing yeah did uh, I, I I particularly enjoyed that whole that whole set of uh, the attic with all the all the dead bodies the, it's it was kind of weird because I didn't realize he was like uh, hacking them up and piecing them together yeah. definitely I didn't really yeah I don't even know why bother why go yeah. through all that effort no, it just seemed like they just were like oh we <laughs> you know like, could fucking look, just yeah. stab him once let him die and just no they, they were yeah and they was just, he like mixing and matching I pieces I think so they didn't really show it didn't look no. like that it looked like they just kind of painted some scars on yeah. their limbs but uh, I just like that there was also he he had like five fully you know, they had all their arms and legs and stuff, even though he pieced them together, but there were still, like, extra limbs just kind of floating around. Yeah, it's yeah, like, there's, those limbs there's one random arm just floating yeah. <laughs> there, remember. Um, yeah, he kills the old actress lady, French stripper, with a weird little makeshift gu- guillotine. Yeah, and you don't you don't see it, though. It's just kind of like... But, yeah, yeah, it's just like this guillotine that falls it, from, like, six inches up and somehow severs her head. But, but at least in the version I've seen, the bootleg I have, it cuts weird. Where it's just like no, that. What I saw, it was just like he basically cuts the rope, and then and it's then just like, like, "Why'd you make me?" Do yeah, that? yeah, exactly. That's how it was. <laughs> I wonder if 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 there is a version where it has they show the actual the beheading. I doubt it. I wonder what happened to her pigeon. Oh yeah, that pigeon really. Yeah, this pigeon was like her little friend, and yeah. when she was getting kidnapped, it, it had, really like, wanted to yeah. save her. I guess. I wonder if pigeons. Uh, is that's normal pigeon behavior? <laughs> I don't think so. We could ask Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson is an oh. expert Oh, my God. Isn't the pigeon... Um, Norm MacDonald. Yes. <laughs> That's the best part of that show. Uh, if if Norm MacDonald dies, I will I will do some sort of black magic where he comes back as a pigeon. That's like my <laughs> partner. We solve mysteries together. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's Wicked Wicked. Do you have anything to say about Wicked Wicked, Joe? I don't have very much to say because... Yeah, tell, tell everybody why you don't have much to say about Wicked Wicked. <laughs> because I did not do my homework and I did not yeah. watch it. And I'm anything that I have to say, I'm working off of the last time that I saw it, which was uh, six, 
five or six years yeah, ago. Roughly, yeah, yeah. So it isn't fresh in my mind. Mm. And also thank you to Andrew for doing the introduction since he watched it. He's a good student. I get an F. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. I feel like we're missing something. Like there's I more to too. talk about. Yeah, like there's something about... Um, but... I, I can't I can't think of anything. It's a, it's it's a good movie. I enjoy it and uh like I said, it's wait until Halloween and you have a party full of, you know, your other film nerd people. Don't tell them what you're going to play. Just make them watch it going in not knowing what they're about to see. They'll appreciate it. You'll look cool mm-hmm. too. You'll find that rare movie that they never heard of, you know. You know what I found a one little interesting thing that was just kind of like super sleazy uh, was the detective or the house security guy. Um, uh, he basically starts this love interest, this relationship with the uh, the the singer who's who's like kind of like the main focal point of the blonde. Well, it's his ex-wife. Yeah, and so um, okay, so yeah, and so there, he's kind of rekindling that relationship he ends up sleeping with her but then towards the end when it was supposed to be like oh yeah now we can be together he's just like see ya and like well, he's no. just like i'm i'm, I'm gonna I have love fun that. I over lo- here yeah i love that jack burton type uh yeah. ending where he's just you know he decides yeah. not to take the girl at the end and like he's like I- i'd love to but i just can't stop well, yeah boring. i mean they well that they just knew <laughs> they knew that their lives wouldn't mesh together and like adults they had their yeah. they had their time you know they had a uh, some sexy time as well as being chased by a killer. It was like yeah. some memory they'll never forget. And then he goes back to <laughs> some memory they'll never forget. And they, he goes back to making out with the magazine rack girl yep. again. You know. All right, all right. Anyway, those random bits of uh, trivia that I forgot to mention. We can we can count them as footnotes. Maybe. Uh, yeah, we'll do that. Maybe we should do that at the end of every one of these podcasts yeah. for all the shit I forget to mention that comes back to me. No one's listening anyway. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Especially at this point, I think it, it, what one listener we had turned off like five minutes into Cannibal Apocalypse. <laughs> My like seventeenth um is when they tuned out. They're like, all right, all right. Any anything else to say? No, I think uh, that pretty much does it. All right, all right. Thank you for listening. Um, empty void. Say goodbye, Andrew. Turn it off. Stop it. 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 Stop